Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. to Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast back again and we are looking forward to, well, the first of the big five leagues to kick off and of course the German Cup kicks off this weekend so we're going to look at France and Germany today uh, as we start to get into our season preview episodes. Uh, my name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is Mr Sam Ty, the Rank God. Hello my friend, how are you? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm not too bad. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, Jackson. How are we? Yeah, all right. All Jackson. right. How are you? You good? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm very happy. Transfer season's buzzing along. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's really uh, kicked into gear this week, isn't it? My phone ran out of battery yesterday. That's how busy it was. <laughs> it's like your phone's sign. four years old. <laughs> not actually, is it? I told you about that yesterday about the old iPhone and the iPhone 8. <laughs> oh, yeah, <of> <laughs> right, that's enough about iPhones. Um, and we're <laughs> going to move on with actually looking at some leagues. And I think chronologically, Ligue 1 being the first league to start of, of the big five in Europe feels like they're the natural place to start. So we're going to have a two part episode today. The first part, we're going to be looking at France, we're going to be looking at PSG summer spending, some contenders. We're bringing in uh, a special guest, Alex, to come and help us uh, talk about that and then in the second part we're going to be talking about the Bundesliga about Germany uh, and we're going to be bringing in Jasmine to talk a little bit more in depth uh, about those things as well so we've got a lot of guests for you today a lot of football to talk about uh, a lot of contenders to rank if you will so so let's start with France and let's start with PSG because this summer spend Dean has been pretty remarkable in terms of how much it's added to the wage bill if not how much it's cost them up front yeah exactly i mean they've i guess you could say they've been smart in terms of the like free transfers and stuff but um you know even signing you know ramos and uh, wijnaldum on freeze you've still given them absolutely ludicrous wages and, and donnarumma too um and then you've got hakimi that you've gone and spent like 60 odd million on and to to be honest, like this, the only way you can really compare this transfer market to any recent times is when PSG went out in 2017 and signed Mbappe and Neymar. I mean, this is their most, that's their biggest splash, if you like, since then. Um, I think, what did Neymar and Mbappe cost? It was about 400 million euros they spent on those two players. And well, the wages of Wijnaldum are nearly that, if you if you believe everything <laughs> <laughs> that, that you've that you've read yeah. since he since he uh, decided to to join them after being freed by Liverpool. But um, Do you remember early days, early takeover when they went out and like spent you know, thirty million on Javier Pastor back when thirty million was a lot of money. There was also, a ha- Javier Pastor was an absolute baller, so that's completely. Acceptable. Oh no, he was fine, but he was like one of seven, and they really every every uh, roughly every four years, PSG spend an absolute bucket load on a new squad. And, yeah, uh, but I guess what's yeah what's different this time, I guess, is that back then it was the the big upfront fees, and and this time it's just. Going like, oh, how, Ramos, how much were you earning at Madrid? Okay, we'll give you that. Uh, Donnarumma, what does Mina Raiola want out of this deal? Okay, we'll give him that. Uh, one Adam, what do you want? Like, that's that's the approach that they've taken this time. So it's, it's, it is different, but what a squad. What a squad PSG have got now. I mean, 
let's be honest, they should absolutely walk away with this league. They won't. Like, I, I hope they won't. But they should, shouldn't they? Like, if they put their, their strongest 11 out on paper every week, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is kind of ridiculous, yeah. Sam, you talked a lot last year uh, about the fact that the one thing that they needed to overhaul if Pochettino was going to come in was was their fullbacks, right? And, and the fact that he relies so much on them. And obviously, we've seen Akraf Hakimi come in. There hasn't been any movement at left back thus far. But do you envisage this just being a change of shape for PSG? Do you think this is a back three because it frees Hakimi up to be the best Hakimi that he can be? I think it makes sense. If you're going to drop this kind of money on on someone like Hakimi, I think it makes sense to to play a back three and to get Hakimi into his favoured wing-back role. Like He can play fullback, obviously. They're similar roles, but there's a defensive responsibility attached to one in a way that there isn't to the other. And you can't really do anything other than watch Hakimi for the last what, three years, two at Dortmund and one at Inter, and not think, wow, this guy, I don't want to... I don't want to restrict him in any way. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to restrict the way he gets forward. I wouldn't want him to be worried about what's behind him so much. I'd want to put a player in behind him to deal with all that and let him wreak havoc moving forward. So if I were Pochettino, and I'm not, he's a much better manager than me, but I would play a back three. And look, he has the personnel to do it. Kimpembe's perfect for left centre-back. He has Ramos and he has Marquinhos. And then he's got Hakimi at right wing-back. And obviously on the left, maybe... Not not dropping money on uh, on, a, on an upgrade at left back doesn't matter quite as much if you're if you're suddenly asking like Juan Bernat or Levin Kozawa to play as the wing back rather than the left back it sort of changes the landscape a little bit so I think the smartest thing to do there is to get the best out of your most expensive signing of the summer and the way to do that for me would be a back three and with Ramos in they actually do have the personnel to do it so this is something I genuinely expect to see at different points hmm. it's not something that. Poch is famed for, but I mean, he has played it before. We've, we've, we've seen it used. I did think we were going to see more of Marquinhos at a defensive midfield, to be honest. And and someone did make the point that a, a back five, well, if you will, of of Donnarumma, Hakimi, Ramos, Kimpembe, Marquinhos shielding them and, and Bernat or Kazawa is incredibly good. Yeah, that is really... the kind of back four, five, six, if you will, that, that you think is going to probably drive you towards a title or not necessarily a title in this case, but maybe a European title, which as we all know is is really what PSG are craving here. Yep. And well, what's this Mbappe window like? How long is this Mbappe window? I mean... It's got to be one more year, hasn't it? Like, yeah. This is it now. This is it. Has to be. So this, yeah. So this is this is the year. I mean, I, I feel like this. There's an acceptance from that from the from from the higher ups. I feel like this push here, taking advantage of a fallow market, and picking up a player like Hakimi and adding in Donnarumma and Wijnaldum and Ramos and just completely overloading the squad. I think I think they're very self aware here. No matter what the chairman says, Mbappe's window is closing, and with. It's much easier to win a Champions League with Mbappe and Neymar than just one of them, obviously. Well, yeah, and then that's suggesting that if Mbappe goes, that Neymar stays, right? <laughs> because there's there's no guarantee that that's yep. going to be the case anyway. Yep. Um, look, it, it it does feel like it's PSG's to lose, but I, I think you could have argued the same last year, right? You could you could have argued that that it was PSG's to lose last year and, and lose it they did. So so you know this is this is not by any straight, stretch of the imagination a, a, a one stop shop. And I think it's worth looking at some of these challenges. And look, we we've talked about ranking people and, and, and ranking challenges. And for me, I think the the people who the, the team who stand out uh, as the most obvious challenger to PSG this year are Monaco. They're the most settled side in terms of, of these challenges. There hasn't been too much upheaval 
people. We've seen a little bit of departure in Fode Balatore, who's gone to Milan, and Jovetic, who was released. Balatore had already been usurped by Kaya Henrik, a, a left back. Jovetic can't put more than five games together at any given point as a, as a kind of rule of thumb. Um, and Niko Kovac is in charge. This is one where you look at them and go, right, okay, they had a really good second half to last season. They were the kind of wild card in that in the title race that we thought might come through. They didn't, clearly, towards the end of it, but they felt like the team that, that could be that wild card and it could have an effect on how it all played out. Um, and, and now they feel like the challenger <laughs> with the most competence uh, and the most ability to, to look at PSG and go, yeah, okay, we'll give you a run for your money this year. Yeah, I agree with that. And I like the fact that it's a settled squad, but I think as another challenger, I'd throw in the complete opposite. Um, I'd, I'd throw in Nice because of what they've managed to do over the course of the summer. And it's been an interesting summer for them, of course. First thing they did was take Christophe Gaultier off Lille, the reigning champions, and, and they stole their manager. I mean, what a start to a new project. <laughs> and we did question at the time, didn't we? Why would why would Gaultier go from Lille over to Nice? Nice finished well into mid-table last year. And I think the transfers that have happened over the course of the summer and what's transpired will tell you exactly why Gaultier made that step because they signed Calvin Stengs from Alkmaar, from AZ Alkmaar, who we love. They've made Jean-Claire Toribo permanent. They've signed Pablo Rosario and Lamina. They've signed Melvin Bard from Leon. They've signed Justin Cliver on loan. This is a lovely haul of players and this is a lovely project to work with. And I guess they can they can thank Minoriola partly for some of it. I think he's he's fairly well involved in two or three of these deals, but they've also got rich backers, rich owners, and they're ambitious. And with Goldsier tying it all together, I agree with you, Jack. Monaco are the clear, settled, second best team here, I think, on paper. But Nisa make it looking to make that jump, and I'd I'd put their name in this conversation for sure. Yeah, I li- I like Nisa. I like I like what they're doing, and I, I think that they are the team that will be most exciting in terms of the project and the, the players that they're they're signing are the ones that you want to see do well and like jump up that extra level. And I think in Geltier, like that's the that's the guy that you want leading you on the back of what he was able to achieve last season with Lille. So. Yeah, I understand why Monaco would be like the leading contenders. The other thing with Monaco is that, I mean, I don't know if you two have ever been to Monaco and watched a game. Here we go. Another Dean Jones rant about Monaco Stadium. He's been buying the goal. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish. They you got no fans. you got no fans. Um, <laughs> they haven't. They've got no fans. It's a rubbish atmosphere. It's, a hot, it's really not a fun place to watch football. So in that sense, I don't really want Monaco to do well. But from a footballing project and like what they're building and like the actual yeah performances that we're likely to see this season, it probably will be deserving of yeah yep. challenge. It's quite it's quite a cool stadium. It just doesn't have anything in it. Um, I've been outside. Yeah, it's quite it. cool. It's like yeah, quite it's nice, quite, quite a nice kind of build. It's quite yeah. Yeah, maybe. Widest pillars in football history. That's what I mean. From an aesthetic perspective, everybody's having a nice time. DJ, though, I did want to ask you to kind of uh, maybe elaborate a little bit on on what's happened with Nice and 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 the kind of uh, the backing that they've got because it, it's kind of come out of nowhere and suddenly they're signing a delightful core of young players. They're signing smart. They look like they're they're, they're turning players over who who they think will be able to make a profit. It is genuinely a system that seems to. It seems to be done with with a lot of sense in mind, but it's kind of been backed by, you know, quite a a big company, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so um, 
Bob Ratcliffe is the man that's kind of masterminding this at Nice. And um, there's this company, Ineos, um, that, uh, a chemicals company, basically, um, that are trying to kind of make the most of an opportunity. When a lot of clubs in Liga have been feeling sorry for themselves and the fact that they lost out on broadcasting money and obviously the league shut early during the pandemic and left them with basically making no money. He tried to see it as an opportunity to actually grow and try and find a strategy that would work. And what he's done in terms of the recruitment is to bring in players who will not only work really hard, but have special characteristics in terms of like football inability, like having a special edge. So whether it's Cliver, who clearly should be playing regularly at a high level and impressing everybody and has struggled really through that in the last couple of years. Um, let's get him back to where he should be. And you want players who stand for something and that's what they're trying to build. And it's it's not easy to do that in Liga um, in terms of a big profile because there aren't the eyes on the league that most of, you know, the Serie A, Premier League, in Bundesliga um, is, and would have. But... I think that what they have got here is an opportunity to to yeah capitalize on the fact that a lot of teams are having to sell players right now and don't have a good process of well how they think that they can challenge PSG basically um you saw what Lille were capable of doing last season we kept questioning whether they could win the league all the way through to the last week when they did win the league um and they're thinking why not let's go and give it a go you you're seeing that um what PSG have been able to do on a global um, basis in terms of growing, whether it's the the Michael Jordan tie-in or whether it's because of Mbappe and Neymar, whatever they've done, like PSG have become a global brand. So Nice think, okay, well, we've got a lot of money. Like, let's make that first step and get in that conversation of competing for the league. And then we'll take the next steps from there if we're able to do that. So I, I really do think that Nice are the team to watch in Liga that most of us probably haven't seen a lot of before. Yeah, it, it feels like a project that, that I think, um, look, whether whether you agree or, or, or not in terms of how clubs are, are bought and run or whatever, you, had, you look at kind of the strategy in terms of recruitment and it seems like a sustainable one, right? It, it seems like one where they'll be able to uh, either build from a very young, talented core or if it doesn't go to plan, they'll be able to flip those players at a profit and and, and keep investing in the system. So that's it's something that you, you've got to admire in, in that regard. And, and and Bob Ratcliffe, I know he's also the 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 CEO at Lausanne, if I'm not mistaken, in the in the Swiss league, who so Ineos mm-hmm. also own. Um, they, he seems to be doing a relatively good job here. And I know there's been plenty of interviews and, and discussions with him about how the the, the COVID crisis was was handled in France and how the the TV rights deals were were, were kind of handled and uh, he seems to be one that is, is like right we can we can get through this it's okay we just got to kind of work together so uh, interested to see how he goes um I'm going to take it to to one more challenger I think um and another one that is a bit chaotic um this is this is probably my my wild card of the challengers um, and this is Marseille, who have had a bit of a nuts summer as well. George Sampaoli obviously took the the vacant hot seat after the departure of, of Andre Villas-Boas in February last year. Uh, and the club 
now seem to have gone, right, we've got a new man at the helm. We are going to back him in the market. So Leo Bellardi's loan move was made permanent from Dortmund. Uh, San Paolo obviously saw enough in his countrymen in, in, in those kind of couple of months to suggest that he is going to be a part of his plans. He's brought in William Saliba on loan from Arsenal. Them two look like they'll form a partnership. Um, Saliba is joined by his Arsenal club mate, Matteo Guendouzi, who I think we'd all agree his raw talent is definitely there. Nobody doubts. But he's spent a couple of loan spells trying to find a fight in a post box. Um, now, <laughs> if Sam Pauli can stop him trying to fight himself and enjoy the best out of him, that we, we know there's a player there. He'll have a Swiss army knife in his engine room. And he's able to provide a, a base from, from which Dimitri Payet can pull these strings, right? They've also gone shopping in Rome. Um, Paul Lopez is coming in goal. Uh, Cengiz Under has been added. Obviously, was on loan at Leicester last year and, and didn't do huge amounts. Um, but I think Paul Lopez, we saw how brilliant he was at Betis. Rediscovering that form would be a first start. And, and, and Cengiz Under has even further form to discover, I think, and uh, and, and rediscover. That was that one brilliant season in 1819. Um, we'll. Sam Pauli's an attacking coach, right? Maybe he'll be unleashed by the forward-thinking nature of his new coach. Um, there's also a couple from Brazil. Gerson, uh, you might remember from Roma and Fiorentina, uh, a couple of spells over there before he went back to Brazil. And, and Luan Perez, who was a big part of, of Sam Pauli's Santos side. Um, they've both come across from Brazil uh, to link up with their manager. And, and also, Comrade De La Fuente has been added from Barcelona at 3.5 million euros, which I think might little bit be a, a snip in a couple of years. I think mm. we might be looking at that going, good bit of business, boys. That's the Barca car boot sale, mate. He scored an absolutely delightful goal uh, against San Etienne in, in pre-season. He like, took a Maradona turn off in, in the air on the spin and just slotted it home. And I think we've, uh, we've seen a few uh, Olympian fans kind of absolutely going for it so far. So, yeah, I would say Marseille, one to watch in, in the wildcard stage. They're also just such a chaotic club, right? Marseille feel like they're, they're always on the brink of just absolutely imploding, which makes them incredibly interesting to watch. And I imagine incredibly frustrating if you support the club. Um, <laughs> but it, on the whole, I, I think this is very exciting and, I, and I'm excited to watch Marseille. They are they are my kind of, the one I've got an eye on being like, ooh, that could be Yeah, you've spoken about them a few times already, haven't you? The season hasn't even started. I think the last three or four podcasts you've You've talked about Marseille now, so um, get used to this for the next nine months. Well, it depends if they finish if they're seventh at Christmas. And everyone's like, "Well, that's the end of Marseille." Then I think we'll uh, we'll be fine. Nah, about you'll it. still be on that train, mate. You'll still be there, all aboard the same. It's Paolo. in the bag. Yeah, in all, the bag. All aboard the San Paoli Express. Oh, what the in the bag that all of them came to? Yeah, classic. Um, <laughs> right, that's uh, that's Have you that's got any of those yet for this season? Uh, guys, yet. This, this one we haven't really well, we haven't mentioned there really at all, um, and it's a bit weird. Uh, I think to close this off, we do need to mention the reigning champions, Lille. And they won their first, they won, they won the, the curtain raiser, didn't they? They won the, the, the Trophée de Champion at uh, the weekend against PSG. Look, it's, it's a bit of a glorified friendly, but the reigning champions have won the first piece of silverware of the season. How have they not made it into our top three here? Well, but Lille have had that difficult summer that a lot of league owned clubs have. The, the, the teams we've talked about so far have kind of bucked the trend. Whereas Lille have very much been been the trend, and they've lost their manager Gaultier. Obviously, he went to to Nice, so that's a big blow. He masterminded last season's success, and they've lost a couple of key players. Best goalkeeper in France last season, Mike Magnan, has gone to AC Milan, and Bubakari Samari has gone to Leicester City. And I guess I'd say it's probably fair to say that we are a little bit worried that they might lose one or two more before the end of the window. And as a result, as a result of that, we are a little bit down on Lille right now, but. 
very good side coming off serious momentum and have started the season the right way. We're not exactly writing them off. We're just a little bit concerned about their their position in this uh, in this very volatile kind of changing market in Liga. Yeah, I think they've stalled where everyone else has progressed, right? That, that, that's yeah. that's where I'm at on them. And, and and that means that considering the amount of talent we've seen go in at Nice, considering the, the more stable environments around them, um, perhaps they might just fall off a wee bit from where they were last year. But yeah, I still expect them to be challenging the European spots, just probably not quite the top of the table again. Um, but right, should we get some should we get some expert analysis on Liga? It's always nice to... Oh, to, to you mean to tell me that Dean Jones' analysis wasn't expert? Did you not hear what I said about Monaco Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> Rubbish, uh, mate. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, right, we're going to bring in Alex Collings, who is a writer for our friends over at Scouted Football. Scouted, we've, had, um, we've, we've had a couple of scouted people in recently. It's uh, This relationship is developing nicely. It's blossoming, shall we say. Um, but Alex is going to talk to us about a few more uh, of the more niche stories uh, in Liga across the season. Welcome back to Ranks FC. And I'm delighted to say we are joined by Alex Collings. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're excited to, to hear some, some more different bits uh, about French football, about Liga. So welcome to Ranks FC. Thanks so much. Good to be here. Oh, mate, it's a, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. We'll uh, basically throw the floor to you. Um, and it's kind of, we're going to be looking at three things that people need to keep an eye out for uh, this year in Liga. Obviously, we've talked a little bit uh, beforehand in terms of what the title race is going to look like, who are the contenders, who are, who are the main challengers to PSG. So this one is a, a little bit more of a, a wider look at the league and, and some other storylines for people to keep an eye on. Okay, so I think I'm going to start with three and that'll be... Um, Kamal Dean Zulamana and Jeremy Doku's relationship. So, yeah, I mean, anyone who follows me will know that I've been a Kamal Dean fan for over a year now. And he was looking like he was going to move to Ajax for a long time. And then also another player I've liked since Jim right at the beginning of last season before he made the move to Rennes because of Anderlecht and Percy Tau reasons. I mean, obviously, one of them spent a season already at Renz and I think it's gonna be a really interesting combination between the two the two different wide players because they're completely different in how they play. They're both high volume dribblers, so it's gonna be quite an exciting sort of attack under Bruno Genesio. But I mean in terms of how they go about it, they're very, very different. Jeremy Doku's far more sort of carries the ball from the second phase and brings it right up towards the attack, tries to supply a ball in. Whereas Kamaldin is sort of, as soon as he's on the ball, he's going to be trying to go straight towards goal. The one concern I do have, I actually was really hoping to see Jeremy Doku play on the left this year because that's where I think he's better. When he's got his right foot inside towards the goal, you notice every time he picks it up on that on that left channel, he's always got that right step in and then he, he bursts in. And I think that's something obviously you don't really see him have on the right. He's got a decent cross, but it's not nearly as good as when he does that that cut in and runs across the front of the 18-yard box. But yeah, I think obviously Kamaldin is left-sided. He could play striker. I don't think he will play striker for them. So yeah, I think I think unfortunately that's the one thing I wasn't totally keen about that. So yeah, um, I'm looking forward to seeing their combination, especially basically they're going to be running the attack. I mean, you've yeah. got like, so you are the authority on Kamaldin Suleimana. There is a, <laughs> uh, I think this is a nine page spread in the latest scouted on, well, it's not just on, on Kamaldin. It's, it's, it's the right to dream Academy. It's Norgeland and, and the pathway through, which is an amazing read. I mean, look, we've actually spent the last three weeks pumping up scouted football in this podcast somehow. And, uh, we just <laughs> keep doing it every, every, every week we end up talking about them. But uh, yeah, this is a, a wing pairing for Ren, which 
Uh, Ren aren't, uh, they're probably not a title challenger. Well, they're, they're not going to be a title challenger this season. They weren't one of the clubs that we picked out in our kind of who can challenge PSG. But for this reason alone, this wing pairing, this is a reason to tune in to this club in particular. I think so, definitely. And especially, they're still probably going to, looks like they're going to have Kamavinga. So it'll be very, very exciting. Especially, I think, the one thing we saw is, come, is um, Kamavinga sort of dropped off a little bit um, creatively after the beginning of last season. But that beginning of the season gave me a lot of confidence that he's actually got a lot creatively in his locker. So it'd be very, very fun if if they give him more of a free reign to try unleash, unleash sorry, especially kind of um, Kamaldin down the left would be pretty good. Yeah, we've been sort of talking about this a little bit because obviously Kamavinga's come up in the Manchester United conversation in their search for a holding midfielder. And we've been kind of bouncing the idea around and we've been asking ourselves, is it a waste to put Kamavinga in a very restricted, like a number six role because of the expressive abilities that he started to show after initially breaking onto the scene as someone who just swallows up ground. He then became a much better ball carrier, a much more enterprising player. And as someone that watches him probably a bit more than, than we do, where do you stand on that? What do you think is the best use of Kamavinga? Would you would you stick him as a six and ask him to do the simple things? Or I think where I would like to see him is sort of like a deeper arriving eight. I don't know if you've seen like the, how Bruno Gomares sort of plays. Yeah. Someone like that with quite a lot of free reign to come forward because I actually do quite like him deeper, but he's got a lot of quality, which at first, when he first broke through, I didn't really see how much quality he would have higher up, but he has a lot of quality, especially with this tight control and being able to release players at the right time, um, higher up around zone 14, final third sort of area. Yeah. So it's kind of hard. I think there isn't really a harm to bringing him in as like a sort of an 8-6, especially if you've got like a defensively disciplined 8 alongside him. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think I don't see a problem with 6 at the moment. I know a lot of people had doubts about him being linked with United because they thought he can't play a 6, but... That's also where he kind of started. I don't think it's that he can't. It's that I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't ask him to, maybe. It's probably the way I'd go about saying that. And it speaks to his quality that you can you could back him to do almost anything. Um, but that's that's Kamavinga, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he's that good, isn't he? And and I suppose it, it comes back to to the point and it ties back nicely to to your original point, Alex, in that, you know, this is a wing pairing that has potentially devastating effect within them. Like whether they're gonna line up in that four three three that we saw you know, last season for long periods, it was the or it was the four one four one or even four four two at times with, with Jurassic and Terrier together up front. You know, where where it goes from here is quite interesting because can they now look to you know kick on and give that amount of space to this you know to that wing pairing and whoever plays up front, whether it be Terrier, Jurassic or or someone else that comes in there. You know, because Kamavinga can hold the four, and I'm intrigued to see like what you think would be you know the main man in the middle to to make this work Karassi, best. For sure, Karassi, For sure, I think the one thing is. I'm interested to see what happens with Terrier because Kamaldin will be eating up those sort of areas Terrier likes to arrive from as well. Yeah. Whereas Garassi is just a really good outlet for both of them. I'm also excited, I forgot to say, but Jeremy Doku, obviously a big story was he was what scored like two goals, three goals last season. But I think he's sort of getting, he's one of those players that just needs to explode, just needs it to click. Yeah. And I think, I think we'll get that from him this season. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we've got eyes on Ren. Eyes on Ren. Uh, who else have we got eyes on, Alex? Who's at number two? Uh, my number two is um, looking at Troyes this season. Obviously, their links with CFG. And yeah, I'm just very interested to see kind of what happens with them, not only this season, 
but going forwards, whether they become sort of, you know, um, a staple league club, they've always been like more of a league two club, um, but whether they become a staple and also sort of, I mean, we all know how many players City have on their books. It's kind of crazy if they kind of become a good place for City to start farming out those players, whether you agree with that or not, um, yeah, kind of looks like that is what. Yeah. This is a City football group who own Manchester City and, and New York City and a lot of other of those. So, so Twa have basically ended up in this tree, haven't they? This system. And yeah. they have the benefit, therefore, of loaning in a ton of players. I guess, I guess that would be received differently in different quarters. It's also interesting how it works. I mean, the one player that I'm very excited to see is Matinho. But when he signed, you know, it was a big sort of Man City announcement and everything um, of them signing him. But it was actually the City Football Group signing him. And he's now, his first club he's starting at is Troyes this season. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting to see sort of where's with uh, Keiki, the other, the other guy they signed. I don't know about my pronunciation there. Um, the right winger, I think yeah. he is. He's gone straight to City, but yeah. So Martinez is one I'm I'm quite interesting, interest, interested to see. Um, yeah, I wonder, goes, I wonder how that goes down with with France. I mean, do they have any other examples of this? Uh, I can't think of any. To be honest with you, uh, you know, being part of a conglomerate almost. This might nah, be the first, no, first, the first exposure, this... isn't it, to to this sort of thing? Yeah, I think I think I guess PSG was the first sort of big sort of change in ownership when they came in but yeah this is definitely the first at least at sort of league on league two level yeah that's not well, been seen before i mean we spoke about nice obviously earlier in the podcast and the fact that they're owned by Ineos, who also own lausanne so there is elements True. of this that, that exist yeah, but yeah, yeah. i would imagine this is the first time it's been kind of a a lower end of the subsidiary rather than the top end of the subsidiary which yeah, makes it and on, different and on this level of just all these different sort of clubs because I think Nice still, you know, it's sort of like a, a child club or sister club sort of relationship. Whereas with, with Troyes, it's, there's, you know, there's Girona, there's SK Lomo, there's all these different clubs. Obviously, New York City FC. Oh, it's one of about 15 nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's we, the first thing we've seen, obviously, in terms of this relationship. I mean, you, you mentioned Matinho, but also Issa Bore has gone there on loan. Yeah. He was bought, I think, last year from Mechelen, spent the rest of the season still there. Uh, he's now gone on loan, which, which is quite interesting because it, it, it's a... Well, it's the first you'd imagine of potentially a late flurry of these deals that that backs up that squad if we need it. So I think maybe the most interesting thing at the moment in in terms of Twat and and, and how things work is actually how many how many people are going to get farmed out there towards the end of this window. I mean, look, you mentioned Girona. We saw the likes of Patrick Roberts and, and that go out to Girona a couple of years back. It didn't quite pay off, but it's intriguing to see who actually might end up there because the City Academy is stacked. Yeah, it's it's actually mad. I mean, and it's definitely the sort of thing with Troyes, like if you compare it to sort of um, Taylor... Howard Bellis. Uh, yeah. Um, he's gone to Underlecht. I can totally see it was next season because I don't see it. City's not going to be his pathway next season. I can sort of see Troyes being the next step up, which has tended to be what City's sort of missed, um, especially since Girona's gone back down a league. So I can kind of see if they want to invest in in the club... It sort of being the official sort of farming place 
that they sort of have, right? Um, they've also got what a, state, what, what a title, official farm of Manchester. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not crazy about the. Yeah, <laughs> the no, I'm sure of... that'll go down. I'll go down well with the French with the French football enthusiasts yeah. uh, who have br- bristled at the term farm for a long, long time. <laughs> but you know, at least as least as a youth football enthusiast, it'll be fun to watch. I mean, I'm looking forward to Matinho. There's also an interesting one, which I actually just looking through their squad yesterday, as I noticed. From so SK Lomo is also one of their sort of feeder, well, not feeder conglomerate clubs, right? And like Philip Krastev, I've never watched him, so I can't say more than that. But 19 year old Bulgarian players come up from there being loaned to, to the club. So it'll be interesting to sort of see how they shift around players and how much they invest, like you said, before the end of the window. Because right now, the squad looks weakish still, I would say, mm, despite yeah. touches of quality. I completely agree. I completely agree. Which uh, which leaves us with one big viewing point, uh, Alex. And I know this one's close to your heart. <laughs> um, so yeah, my my number one is pretty much looking at Lyon and in what is literally just a massive change for the club, um, like a, a new a new era. Memphis, I was on his way out. We're finding out of Rudy Garcia. Um, but crucially, this is the first time we've actually we've gone for hiring a coach. That isn't French since 1982. Wow. And then, yeah, I mean, the one thing Lyon has never been as a particularly tactically interesting club, unfortunately, as much as attack, as much as we have had lots of attacking quality and lots of exciting youth players. But yeah, with Peter Boss, I think we finally have that. And personally, I'm very, very excited because it's going to be a big change. And I think it's something that we've needed to do for a long time. And it's kind of a reason Lyon sort of started to stagnate and fall behind other more innovative clubs. Because as good as our scouting has been and stuff, we haven't, we've rarely, rarely made our sort of, our, compo- our team more than it is. You know, it's always yeah, been... More than the sum of its parts. Yeah, yeah more yeah. than the sum of its parts. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see it. Also, Peter Bosch isn't going to be someone, which was a big problem with Garcia and sort of the, the principles of the club is he wasn't very big on playing our youth players. Or even he had certain favourites like Bruno Gomeresh was someone who didn't play a lot last season, even though Which he's twenty three. By the way, because the guy is genius, he's unreal. Yeah, he's so, I mean, for those of you that don't know Bruno particularly well, I mean, came straight over from Brazil to Leon and and impressed like immediately, I think, and then just kind of fell out the team. And I sort of forgotten a little bit about him. And then watching the Olympics. Uh, this summer, I mean, the guy is putting on passing masterclasses in the heart of Brazil's midfield every single time he takes to the pitch. This is a sensational footballer. The fact that you have to sit there and watch him take his seat on the bench is, is criminal. Well, I had to. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Um, I will ask though, Alex. I mean, look, we we've talked about Leon with, with Sam and, and and Dean a little bit over the course of this week, not on the pod, but over the course of different things. And obviously, fourth last season, it feels like an incredibly outside bet that you're going to beat that this time around, given the circumstances going to the campaign. Now, I appreciate that Petr Bosch is an exciting tactician. He's also a bit nuts. like, yeah. and, and that is fun. Don't get me wrong. It's great fun, <laughs> but it can end badly. And I mean, the fact that obviously Memphis has left and, and, and our again looks like he's about to leave. You know, Memphis, 22 goals, 12 assists in 40 games last season. It's difficult to replace. Moussa Dembele comes back in with 
what attitude it's a little bit confusing he's you know he's he's clearly tried to leave he's had no you know no way of proving that he's good enough he's now got to either come back and show his worth again or he he comes back and and throws a strop and trust me I'm a Fulham fan I've seen him throw a strop it's not pretty it's not enjoyable when he wants to go he wants to go and 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 I guess like that Lucas Paqueta who I who I love and who had a very very impressive Copa American uh, tournament is obviously going to be asked to to step up the creative role in Memphis's absence. Like, I think that him taking the ten is particularly symbolic in this case. Yeah, for sure. For are sure. you are you worried about this team? I mean, I, I would suggest that there's probably cases to be excited, but also cases for serious worry. So what I will say is, I'm very confident Shaky's going to explode this season. I'm very interested to see where he plays because my sort of image for him is to play out on the right. But I mean, we know Peter Bosch, like you said, he's kind of nuts. He could do exactly what he did with Julian Brandt and play more in midfield, which I think he'd be tempted to do if he didn't have like the likes of Kakare and Paqueta already occupying those spaces. What we definitely need is we need more goals. Um, And that's the one area we haven't even really been seeing links, which I'm a bit nervous. We need sort of a Musa Barrow sort of, or I've heard Rafael Leal sort of potentially on the move. I would love Leal to go for him. Sort of a left-sided attacker, to actually replace Memphis. I think that's the one the one big thing. As for Peter Bosch being sort of mad and potentially, you know, second half of the season players burn out and then it becomes a sort of a goal fest for other teams. The one thing is is, is that the league has always been a tactically been a league sort of behind, in my opinion, it's been the big thing, behind the other leagues. And I think even what we saw with sort of Nico Kovac, um, and Sampaoli is just how much difference having like actually a tactically high pressure, interesting manager manages just to to put so many of these teams take them by surprise almost because it's not the sort of low block, lots of physicality sort of league conditions they're used to. And then the other thing is I do think with guys like Bruno, with um, especially Kakare, Paqueto, he actually finally does have a midfield that is just ridiculously physical. Um, ridiculously athletic, um, basically three guys with three lungs. And that kind of could be the conditions he kind of needs to, yeah, to finally have success in that sort of high intensity, high pressure, a high pressing game that he plays. Yeah, no, I think that's probably fair enough. I mean, I, I think I also think this could be Jerky's breakout season. If he hasn't broken out already, this is this is the <laughs> one that screams for him. All we need is Hamza Rafia back on the other wing. Um, and everybody will be incredibly happy. That, a front three of Hamza Rafia, Musa Dembele and Ray and Cherky is something I think we could all get behind. It would be a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun. Well, I hope for your sake, Alex, that, that Leon do kick on into this season and continue to push on uh, and, and continue to improve it's gonna be a good league it's gonna be a good season yeah yeah. thank you so much alex for joining us um just before you go where can our listeners find you alex frco on twitter i think is basically where anyone can find me you can find alex's work with the boys that scouted and obviously at the african scouting agency as well so there's lots of places where you can make sure you can see where alex is up to um alex it's been a real pleasure thank you so much for joining us guys (laughs) all the best eh? well thank you so much to alex for joining us uh, and providing 
providing that insight. Some, well, some things that I don't think we would have been keeping an eye on beforehand, but we would definitely be keeping an eye on it now. Uh, I'm very excited about that Ren Wing partnership in particular. After the break, we are going to be crossing the Rhine River into Germany, where we'll be taking a look at the upcoming Bundesliga campaign. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast, where it's time to turn our attention to Germany. Now, the eagle-eyed among you will have noticed that we are actually a little bit early on this because the Bundesliga does not start until next week. But next week is incredibly busy in the football world, if you haven't noticed. So what we've decided to do was move things a little bit forward because the German teams are back in serious competitive action this weekend with the opening of the DFB Pokal. So we're just going to basically assume that that is the start of their competitive seasons and run from there. Now, the first thing to address in Germany is the managerial merry-go-round, which was absolutely ridiculous to begin with. At the back end of last year, was pure chaos in terms of German manage, yeah, German clubs just announcing managers from each other. Um, it started with Marco Rosa and then just became this rotating wheel of who could nick the next club's manager first. Um, so I'll run you through it in in some kind of order to try and get some perspective on it. So Bayern's Hansi Flick was poached by Germany for the main national team job upon the, well, impending retirement of, of Jürgen Löw. Retirement? Um, and, well, well, retirement as far as we know. Retirement Sucked. as far as we know. Um, <laughs> hey, look, Jürgen Löw left with his head held high. Thank you very much. He got out of the group of death. Um, <laughs> right. Bayern, Bayern lost Flick to Germany. So they took Nagelsmann from RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig said, all right, fun, we'll use the RB chain. They took Jesse Marsh from Salzburg. Uh, over in, 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 the, in the other sort of side of this draw, if you will, um, Dortmund took Marco Rosa from Gladbach, uh, who decided they were going to take Adi Hutter from Frankfurt. Uh, who then decided they were going to take Oliver Glasner from Wolfsburg. Uh, Wolfsburg broke the chain by then appointing Mark van Bommel. Um, and over in Leverkusen, they decided to not get involved at all, but they did take a new manager in Gerard Seoni from Young Boys. Um, so seven of the top eight in the Bundesliga from last year have new managers. Um, and, and and that is how we go into the season with a full kind of new set of what is going to happen next. Um, so there you are. There's the uh, there's the picture painted for you in terms of what's going on. I've never seen anything like that in my life. It's carnage. And it's so exciting as well. It makes it so exciting to kick off the season. We've got seven fresh projects in the top eight. What the hell? I think this should become a thing. Like every club has to, you only get one year contracts across the Europe. Everyone has to change manager every year. You just have no idea what you're getting. You're great. People swap it, crossing over at airports all over the world. Oh, Where are you off to, mate? I don't know yet. Day, yeah. I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> like a manager deadline day. Everybody's crossing over. I mean, it, would be fun. it all had to be done within a 24-hour period as well. Like, <laughs> absolute chaos. Your contract everywhere. ends today. You need a new one by tomorrow. Yeah, you, you have to. You have to get a new manager. If you don't have a job tomorrow, you'll never get another job because you're off the merry-go-round. Yeah, it's uh, once you're on, you're on. And once you're off, you're off. There is no coming back. Um, don't call it a comeback. Uh, right, Sam, <laughs> it feels like the only place we could start is, is with Bayern. They have literally dominated the league for years um, and, and show no real signs of slowing down. Um, but then once we've talked about Bayern, we will take a little look at some of the contenders like we did in France uh, and see who's best placed to challenge them this year because, well, the, the, the Bayern hegemony uh, shows no signs of slowing down. 
Well, look, they won nine titles in a row. Uh, I think we've all been guilty at different points over the last decade or so of maybe suggesting that this would be another team's year. And we've all been burned by that. I know I've done that a couple of times with Dortmund. Um, a couple of people that would have done it with Leipzig and a few others as well. But Bayern typically just get the job done. So it's very difficult to believe until you see it that it can possibly happen again. But you need to take your cue from last year where Juventus finally didn't win the title in Italy uh, to know that it is possible. Things can change. But I mean, Bayern have been had a, a relatively, well, it's a, a bit of very quiet summer really, isn't it? I mean, I say that because they are up in Meccano was secured from Leipzig back in about February or March. So he didn't even move in the summer. So what have they done? They've, they've re-signed a backup goalkeeper, Sven Ulreich, who Bayern fans will know very well. He's been back up there for on and off for a number of years. And they've signed a left back from Reading, uh, Omar Richards. So that's it. Like that's, that's the sum total of what they've done. And that they've lost David Alaba and Javi Martinez and Jerome Boateng. So they've got, in, like they've got weaker at centre back, if not in experience, then definitely in terms of talent as well. So for Bayern, with Nagelsmann coming in with a lot to prove, having won nothing, I think, in his career so far, apart from a couple <laughs> of like admiring glances for managing to get into the managerial game so young and pretty good fashion sense as well at points, um, this is a real test for them. This is a real, real test. I think Bayern have been affected in the coronavirus market just as badly as anybody else. They haven't really been able to manoeuvre. They haven't really been able to build on the squad. And coming off this Hansi flick high is going to be a challenge for them. And it's going to be very interesting to watch up and Meccano dropped into this team. Uh, and said, so, right, off you go. Like, new defensive line. Let's let's see what you've got. It's, it's, it's a risk. And it's, I think it does definitely open this race out a little bit. There's definitely an element of fear you'd imagine, for for Bayern fans because the last time somebody not directly within the Bayern structure took over this job in Niko Kovac, and, and bear in mind, Niko Kovac was a Bayern player and, and knew, the, knew the club well, um, tried to kind of change things up, tried to shake the dressing room up and uh, was out, well, on his ass within a couple of months, frankly. <laughs> um, now, we know that Niko Kovac is a good manager. We've seen what he's done at Frankfurt. We've seen what he's done at Monaco. We know that Kovac is is a good coach. Um, but something just didn't click for him at Bayern. And, and that you know attempted dressing room shake-up, the kind of trying to move on some of the leaders in that dressing room went down incredibly badly. Uh, and suddenly... He was he was replaced with Hansi Flick, who basically restored the natural order, took Bayern back to the top of the table, made them treble winners, uh, and cracked on. Now, is there a worry that something similar could happen here with Nagelsmann? Because he is not the same profile or type of coach that Bayern have seen before. I guess you can always be worried about that. It's, it's interesting you said that, you know, there will be some fear among the Bayern fans, and then I immediately thought. Do they ever actually get scared of anything? Like it's been the dominance has been so clear. I always wonder about that with that with that particular fan base. Like they're so, they're top dogs and then some. Do they ever actually get genuinely scared? But yeah, I mean it's it's a fair comment. And Nagelsmann, as I say, has hasn't necessarily got much of a winning pedigree. He's very very young. We know that this dressing room can be a challenging one to step into. Niko Kovac came out the wrong side of it. There is always a risk that any manager can come out the wrong side of it. And if it does start badly, then you never really quite know with Bayern. But what I would say in response to that is they have the best team. They have the best players and they have the best number nine in world football. And Does that not lump the pressure up? 
I just think it's a get out clause. I just think like even under Kovac, when Bayern were actually like quite quite a big wreck, um, they'd play really badly and just win 3-2 because Lewandowski scored a hat-trick. And it sounds so basic and boring, but he is a genuine get out clause there. And look, look, the other clubs that we can come on to have made some good moves, got some good players. No one quite boasts the the depth and the quality that Bayern do in those key areas though, do they? And They've got they've got players like Thomas Muller like bagging twenty assists last season. Manuel Neuer bang in form. The big the big dogs at Bayern are in form, and that usually paves the way for a successful season. Yeah. What do you think though about obviously like you talked about Upa Meccano, but losing Boateng and, and Alaba is, is probably one thing that is going to be a focus, and and you would show some concern about because of the experience and understanding of the club as well as their quality. There are things like that that can affect a team going to a new season. And look, you look at their pre-season results and it hasn't been good for them so far. I know it doesn't, we shouldn't read too much into pre-season, but we saw the manner of some of the goals they've conceded. It's not been ideal. It's been terrible, Dean. Yeah, it's been pretty <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like losing those two is is quite key. Oh, 100%. I mean, David Alaba is, is surely at this point, well, he's one of the best defenders in the world. He's one of the best players in the world because he can do so much and losing him in, in your back line is, 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 is an undeniable problem like it's going to be an unpopular opinion with Madrid fans but like he's obviously gone and replaced Sergio Ramos at Real Madrid David Alaba is way better than Sergio Ramos way better it's, it's an upgrade isn't it it's yeah they've lost a key man here and look Bertang was a bit shaky here and there his 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 he had a renaissance and he played very well in the treble winning season, of course. Uh, but he was a bit up and down and the injuries caught up and it was a bit mistake prone. But having a player like that who what, won the treble back in 2013 and then came back and won it again in 2020, losing those kinds of players is a massive problem. And they have to step forward now and they have to look at like, you know, Lucas Hernandez, who they spent so much money on to step forward into this line. They need to look at Upper Makana. He needs to come in and assume the mantle. You've got Nicolas Sula knocking around as well. The, the line isn't what it was. It just isn't. So that heaps the pressure on Nagelsmann even more, I'd say, to get the system right, to maybe recover from that and just keep pounding away at teams and make sure that, that any frailties there aren't necessarily felt as hard. Yeah, well, I think this is it, isn't it? So Open Meccano is now expected to come in and be the man from day one, right? There is no sitting in period for him. There is no there is no start of this where he goes, okay, you can kind of roll in and out of the team until you're comfortable. We've seen Sula, and, and Sula's a good player, but we, we've seen Sula have up and down moments. We've we've seen Lucas Hernandez have a, a bit of a funny start to his, his career at Bayern and, and, and not be able to break that. Now, part of that is because can you get him in a side with David Alaba? Potentially not. Uh, and David Alaba is so good that it's basically impossible to drop him. But there, there, there's a question mark there. I mean, Pavard can play right centre-back at a push, but you probably need him at right-back. I don't have any then, other right-backs. And then you come you come on to the rest of it and it's all a bit sort of all over the place. So obviously there's our friend Chris Richards, um, who, well, will look to step more and more into this first team as we go along. And we've seen him you know, really, really improve into that team, but still quite young and untested. And aside from that, you know, the, the, there's not huge amounts of depth here. And it makes for interesting reading in terms of, you know, if, if Uber Meccano doesn't step into this side and succeed straight away, they're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Sula and Hernandez should be enough, but they're both injury prone. They've both torn their knees 
they've both had sustained serious injuries. It's just um, it's a bit up in the air back there, and yeah, it can be very easy to fall into the trap of thinking, "Ah, oh, bye and bye, I'll do it again." And I'm I'm halfway there, but the other one foot's in the puddle, and the other foot is like, "Well, hang on a minute!" Like the, you're, everything you say, Jack, is right, and if they don't hit the ground running, you never really quite know how this is going to shape out. Which brings into the conversation our lovely contenders for the crown. Absolutely, let's get into them. I mean, and I was going to go to you here, DJ. Is it the obvious base? Do you start with Dortmund here or does the loss of of Jadon Sancho mean that they are just a worse unit than they were last year? No, because I think they've replaced him really well. I think in Daniel Marlon, you've brought in somebody that has the potential to make up for, for the goal creation and the goal scored that, that Sancho was providing. And I think that the fact that they moved so quickly as well to sort that out means that they've been able to quickly just get on with their preparation for the new season um, and I think, yeah, if there's any team that you're looking at straight away as an obvious one to make the most of any stutter, if there is one, from Bayern Munich at the start of the season, then it's got to be Dortmund. Um, obviously, new coach in Marco Rosa. Um, I think, you know, generally a general population of football fans won't have much knowledge of him. And I probably wouldn't have if I didn't speak to you two on a weekly basis. But what I have come to gather from our time over the last, I don't know, year, 18 months of you talking about him and me starting to watch the way his teams play is that I have far more belief in this Dortmund team actually coming up with answers to questions that they haven't been able to deal with in the past couple of seasons, particularly probably the fragility. That's been what, that's probably the biggest question for me that they need to overcome. And it seems that this guy has the flexibility and the understandings in himself to come up with solutions to problems. And um, look, it was it was hard to judge him in the last few months of his last job because we knew he was coming here. And even before that, there was so much uncertainty. But yeah, I'm quite positive for Dortmund. I think you look at what they've got and the fact they've still got Haaland and it looks like he's going to be their player. I mean, that's huge. That's huge. You know, this was the week that Dortmund was setting a deadline for him to leave. Um I've done reports on the last couple of days about Chelsea pushing on with Romelu Lukaku now and that they really are going full steam ahead into Lukaku. I spoke to somebody last night who really was explaining how far that is now moving ahead and all they if they can convince Inter Milan to accept a bid, which they're starting to believe they can, um, then Lukaku's head's been turned a bit and I think he'll, he'll go to Chelsea. And So yeah, that would believe Haaland at Dortmund for the year before he makes his big decision on what the next move is. And if you're going into that season with, with Haaland as your striker, then of course you've got a chance of winning the league, right? Especially if he's just going to enjoy this final year. We saw, do you remember that right at the end of the season when Dortmund secured their Champions League place and, and Haaland was sitting up in the stand and he really properly celebrated. It meant a lot to him. Like he loves this club. Like he's really enjoyed his time there. Oh my God, we could be in for a blitz from him this season. We really could. I wouldn't want to be a centre back in this league or a goalkeeper, actually. Yeah, I, I like, I like, I like the way Dortmund are shaping out here. Like outside of Erling Haaland, obviously, we saw finally in pre-season there was a little bit of a, a diamond played in yes. their last game against Bologna, which we've been talking about having I mean, last few weeks. We go, is he going to go back to his diamond from Gladbach? I'd love to see it. I think it's probably the way you get Haaland and Marlon and Royce in very good positions. And we finally saw it in the last game that they played. So bit of diamonds, Marlon in for Sancho. Look, it is a downgrade, but it's 
it's one with huge upside and he can probably he can possibly catch up um Marco Rose is a very good coach. You're right, Dean. We probably can't hold much of what happened back end of last season against him. I think Dortmund have improved at centre-back over the course of this year with Manuel Akanji finding a lot of form and then playing really well for Switzerland at the Euros. He's starting to mature a little bit. Hummels is back to it. They've signed a new goalkeeper. Finally, the Roman Berkey era is at an end. I've been asking for this for like three years now. And they've signed Kobel from Stuttgart. So in general, Dortmund are taking steps forward. There's only one concern left. And that's right back because Matteo Murray is sadly seriously injured and Thomas Murnier is, he had a very questionable season last season. I hope he picks it up or I hope they address it if they can afford to. Yeah, it does feel like the last spot that if you're going to play this diamond, which does obviously restrict your width going forward. I know that both Marlon and Haaland will run the channels if, if, if they need to. I know that they're both happy to to spread wide and, and, and get in behind, but there is that element of you need your fullbacks to provide the width. Now, Mernier is a very naturally attacking fullback, right? There, there is something in that that perhaps in this system he can rediscover that form, but I, I, I would also like them to, to bring in uh, an attack-minded fullback. I mean, I said Diogo Dalot on loan. That, that's what I want. That's what I want for Dortmund. That's what I think that they should do. Um, I mean, the, the other question is, can Felix Pastlack step up now and, and, and become a serious part of this first-team squad? So there's that question as well. But yeah, on the whole, I, I think this Dortmund side are quite fun. And if, if we do see this diamond come back, then I, I'm excited to see what Marlon and Holland can can come up with between them in terms of uh, as an attacking pair. I think that might be something quite special to to watch and, and a nightmare for defences. Like what's going on? Are you going short? Are you going long? Are you going over the top? Are they going to hit you aerially? Are they going to hit you on the deck? They they kind of between them can do absolutely everything. And, and I'm excited to see what can happen. And if you just mark them and try and mark them out of the game, Marco Royce will have a field day. So, so you know, you're, you're kind of a bit screwed every, either way. But yeah, Dortmund seem like they... They have a nice balance to this side now, and, and it does seem like they're starting to move into a, a new era. And I hope that Marco Rosa can 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 really kick them on. I mean, I guess the the natural next team to go to is is Leipzig, um, and Nagelsmann's old club now under Jesse Marsh, of course, who have had a a bit of a funnier preseason. Um, but it does look like they might be going to a 4-3-3, despite the fact that they now have every target man in the <laughs> entire world playing for them. Well. It's tough to say. I mean, they've had so many absences following the Euro, so it's been a, a bit of a strange preseason. They have done a lot of 4-3-3. They have played a bit of 4-2-2-2 as well. So they have gone back to his shape occasionally and they've done what they can. Uh, there was a 45-minute period where they played Huang Hee Chan off uh, Alexander Serlot, so big man, small man, which I think is where they're going with Andre Silva, new acquisition that we talked about last week. And then either one of, you know, Huang or Brian Brobby, who's starting to make some strides at the club, having signed from Ajax, or any one of these technically gifted attacking midfielders as well. I was actually looking at the squad earlier, like, okay, so, you know, how does this shape out? And you know, it's difficult not to put someone like Danny Olmo into the team, difficult not to put someone like Marcel Sabitzer into the team. And then you go, well, hang on a minute. What about, what about Emil Forsberg? Now, hang on a minute. What about Christopher and Kunku? Now, hang on a minute. Amadou Haidara had a really good season. Of course, Tyler Adams, very good player. And you're like, hang on a minute. This is a stacked squad. This is yeah. a really, really stacked squad. Um, Under a very good manager yeah, who does um, know how to win things. He does. He does indeed. And I guess the one question mark would be, they've lost both of their starting centre-backs. You could maybe say, I mean, Konate wasn't much of a starter because of his injuries, but 
no upper Meccano, no Conate. So pretty fresh looking centre-back pairing. Of course, Willie Orban is still there and I expect him to play a bigger role this year than he has in the past because you can't just stick Simakan and Gvardiol, you know, two 20-21-year-olds in there, two new acquisitions to go, off you go, lads, let's challenge for the title. It's going to have to be an element of experience in there. So I guess you've always got the ability for someone like Kosterman to step inside, but it's going to be, I'd imagine we're going to see a, a veteran paired with a young one here. And I wonder if that balance is what, well, not, not the balance, but I wonder if that's what eventually lets uh, RB Leipzig down here in terms of being able to truly keep up with the big boys is that they've, they've kind of had the centre-back partnership shelled out of them by the others. Mm. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, I think that the Simakan is a, a really good player and I think that he's going to step up. I expect to see a lot of him. I think I like Vardiol a lot, but I would expect that he is going to be part of the rotation as such. Um, and I think that Orban is, is, is clearly the person who's going to step in and be the, you know, he's, he's the kind of, second vice captain if I'm not mistaken behind Galashi like obviously Sabitzer wears the armband and then it's one of the other two who will take over from him so there is that element of okay they're, 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 you can you can flip and switch it about and there's also the, the bit of experience in there to try and guide the young guns mm-hmm. and I, I like it. I actually also think that this this squad's starting to shape out really nicely. And like you say, it's very deep. There's there's a lot of talent in here, especially in that midfield. And if it is going to be a two in the middle, there's going to be a massive scrap for those two bottom midfield spots. I mean, it's going to be a big scrap for the two attacking wide midfield spots too. But those bottom two is is a huge like place of of depth. And you know, we we start to look at where you've gone with, with with how this is shaking out and whether you can play, you know, whether you play like Leipzig, Lima uh, right back or, or whether you play him in, in, in that midfield and all the different options that you have there. I just think that this Leipzig side probably for me, even ahead of Dortmund, and I like, you know, I said I like what Rose is doing there and it, it all depends on how quickly they adapt to shape. I think this Leipzig side are potentially in a slightly better position with, than Dortmund in terms of depth. I just remembered that Dominic Zoverslai is still there and he's part of the, and he's obviously got his old manager in Jesse Marsh back. Um, and I didn't even mention him when I listed through those wonderful attacking options. You still he hasn't got, played for so long. That's why. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it has genuinely been quite easy to forget about him. I haven't seen him play football for eight months. Um, yeah. So obviously they're going to have to go a little bit slowly with, with Zoverslai and he's had an injury, but add him in, add him in. Mm. I mean, it is such a deep squad. Apparently Nkunku's been great, by the way, in pre-season. He has actually played his way into the team for the start of the season. He, he worked really hard on his physicality and his and his uh, stamina. And apparently he's also moved into... Him and uh, Jesse Mars actually live in the same apartment block now. So it's a bit awkward if you leave him out of the team, mate. You can't really be doing that. Um, but the other thing uh, is that um, apparently Marshy's training sessions... You say you've had a funny pre-season game as well. I think it's because they are absolutely shattered. Like the players apparently in their camp were having dinner at 7.30 and just going straight to sleep afterwards because they were exhausted and need to get themselves. They didn't, They were doing two sessions a day for quite a while. And um, yeah, they were burnt out. But it, it pays off stuff like that. And you start to see, them, um, you know, from the early weeks that the the teams that are best prepared pays off in, in, you know, in those early weeks. 
All right. Well, we've chatted a little bit there about some contenders, but we're going to get more of that chat when we bring in our experts. So we're going to be talking to Jasmine Baber, who is a football consultant, analyst and all round expert on things Bundesliga. Excited to have her on the podcast to look at a little bit more uh, of the niche elements of what's going down in the Bundesliga this season. Welcome back to Ranks FC and we are joined by Jasmine Baba. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. And it's been, you know, we've talked a little bit about the kind of the big contenders, uh, I think, to, to Bayern's crown and uh, and the people most likely to to break that dominance. But we wanted to talk about a little bit more of the, the storylines around the league and perhaps the ones that people aren't quite as, well, dialed into at, at the start of a the season. There's been a lot of talk about Dortmund. There's been a lot of talk about Leipzig. There's been a lot of talk about Bayern. So we thought we'd uh, bring you in to, to discuss those and, and have a little ranking of, of some of the storylines that people should be keeping an eye on as we as we roll into a new season? Yeah, I mean, there's so many to choose from all over the league. Um, for me, some of the less like big ones, I think Wolfsburg, to get straight into it, I don't really like to judge teams when it comes to pre-season. Um, it's about an idea of how a team kind of fits together and how do they play together and what kind of tactics that they might show when the start of the season comes around. Um, So I don't like to judge if they're playing well or badly. However, when it comes to Wolfsburg, which we've seen with many teams in the league are going through this monumental change, um, I just haven't been given any idea what they're doing from their games at all. Me as like a consultant and analyst, if I don't know what a team is doing, I am scared. Um, A a bit like that. It's funny, but it's scary for them, to be honest. They've got such a big squad. They have 36 players in their squad at the moment. I mean, they kind of prepared for um, Lacroix to go. Um, He seems to be staying at the moment. And like mentioned Gladbach, they've currently got a big part of their team from last season for the upcoming year. Um, they've still got Weghorst, they've got Maximilian Philip, they've got him off loan on a permanent transfer. And they've added both Nementias from Man City, um, Sebastian Borno from Kuhn. Um, but with so many players, they don't have an idea or a, like, a strong philosophy to their games. And it's seen them lose all of their preseason games. And two of them are, well, Holstein Kiel, who is in the second Bundesliga, and Hansa Rostock, who just got promoted from the third Liga to the second. And they've also lost against Lyon, Monaco, and Atletico Madrid, and not any real saving face to them, in my opinion. And I think they could be in really big trouble because they're in a transition from where their strengths under Oliver Glasner, their old manager, they um, tend not to have the ball. And that is opposite to what Van Bommel does and the thing is about Van Bommel especially at his PSV days his first season was great because old manager Philip Koku kind of left it in a really good place for him to take over but after that one season he's not a very innovative manager he can't bring anything new he's not really the time to build and all of the Eredivisie Divisi teams basically found him out and that's what got him sacked in halfway through his three-year contract at PSV. And we're kind of seeing this exact same problems already happen because 
He's trying to build a transition that he can't build. So we could see him. I think personally, he's the first manager to go from the Bundesliga. He'll be the first one sacked. Wow. So, because, so it is really based on the managerial selection then because Wolfsburg, they felt like at the end of last season, they were on a really nice track until obviously that crazy merry-go-round happened where everybody swapped managers. This is a, a really nicely balanced team. It's a, like the centre-back partnership works, the midfield partnership, Schlager and Arnold, like it just like everything seems to work. And it sounds to me like you think they might be ripping it all down, which is a real shame because I developed a bit of a soft spot for some of these players last season. And I wonder if some of those players will be a little bit um, underwhelmed that they're not leaving for better teams because they've got Champions League this season as well and it's going to be very I I mean they have a big squad to do that but without the right ideas and the right kind of philosophy behind them it just won't really work and we're trying to we're seeing that already the kind of Monaco's and Atletico's Madrid's that they're already playing and losing against we could see this happen throughout the season it's a funny one isn't it because Van Bommel's obviously come in he has very little you know that year and a half as you mentioned at PSV is his only real experience in the hot seat it felt like a bit of a strange appointment he's been obviously out of work for you know, the best part of three years, you know, he's, he's been working as an assistant manager and, and doing little bits and bobs, but nothing kind of in in that main role. So to go from someone like Glasner, who, to be fair, you, you read the interviews after after he left and there was a lot of players saying we didn't like him, but he got things done. And then there was that kind of element of, of Glasner, which was, OK, he's not necessarily popular, but if you keep winning and you keep doing well and you secure, you secure that Champions League spot... It, it, it means that everyone kind of buys into it. Now, they've gone kind of down the opposite route. I'd imagine there's a lot of people that like playing under Van Bommel. He tries to play free-flowing, attacking football, and there's players in this camp who will love that. But if it doesn't work, then I completely agree with you. I completely see that after about three, four months of this, especially trying to fight on numerous fronts, obviously in the Pokal, in the Champions League, and in the Bundesliga, this could go south very quickly. And if it does, we're also going to be looking for someone to kind of fall back on very quickly as well because of the way that this whole thing is going to work. They're going to be expected to kick on from last year, especially if they keep players. And then if this all goes south, then, then those players are immediately going to want to leave in January and things go from bad to worse very, very easily. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And... I think the only saving grace is that the rest, there's so many teams in the Bundesliga who have seen a change in appointment that the other teams might not have their own identity either and find like they're in the same boat, which he can take advantage of. However, to not even take advantage or show any kind of identity against Hansa Rostock or Holstein Kiel, it's a bit worrying. Yeah, absolutely. What's in it too then, Jasmine? Um, number two is the Hertha rebuild. So the Hertha rebuild is some really interesting stuff and it goes deeper to what people kind of know on the surface. So Freddie Bobic was the head of sport of Eintracht Frankfurt for around five years, did an amazing job with the financial side of what Eintracht Frankfurt had at that moment and what they did. I mean, they came incredibly close for getting into the Champions League last season. They fell a little bit short, but several years in the Europa League, done a fantastic job. He's basically hung up his boots there and said, okay, I need a new challenge. Hertha has um, Lars Windhorst come in just being like, I have loads of money and I want this club to have an identity, which is really really kind of fun 
because Hertha are now dragging behind the heels of their rivals in Union Berlin. And, you know, they're a big city club, but they've never really competed for a good few years. Um, So they've now got an injection of money and they want to build everything up again. So Freddie Bobic has a fantastic record at Eintracht Frankfurt, has come in. And what people don't know is how many other personnel he's brought with him from Eintracht Frankfurt. He's brought around around six, maybe um, five from Frankfurt, including a head of recruitment who um, used to be the sporting director of Freiburg. Um, head of scouting, which is Babakar Wayne. Uh, he was close to the head of recruitment and he was also scouting under Frankfurt. Um, they brought in a head of academy, which was the ex Wolfsburg head of academy. Um, they had Anti Kovic as their under 23, who has come back. Um, they brought in a game philosophy and conception like person, there's no real translation from German that I can find, but um, Matthias Burst, he was at Frankfurt in the same role. He's in charge of developing like game model from youth to their senior team. And, you know, when we talk about Eintracht Frankfurt now, we kind of get their style and philosophy of play. You know what players they bring in, even the kind of rumours of them bringing um, Hager is a very Bobich signing that they're still looking to do. But all of this has been moved to Hertha Berlin with a lot of money. So we could see a complete rebuild, a brand new Hertha Berlin that actually challenges for Europe. I think maybe Champions League this year was too much. They could and should, with the amount of money and development going into this club, should get Europa League or Conference League. And it's just a wild time to be a Hertha Berlin fan or be anywhere around the club with all these new faces. They've also brought in a technical director, a game analyst, the team manager, which it's, if you kind of look at Hertha in the last few years, and especially the last three years where they finished around from 10th to 14th, especially last year, where they nearly got relegated, um, it's a really exciting time and to see what transfers may come in and the development that comes in from after that will be really interesting as well. It's about time they started spending some money quite wisely, properly, isn't it? Yeah. Because like, it's not as if they're about to start spending for the first time. They've actually been spending <laughs> for about a year, maybe 18 months. They've just been like just spunking cash everywhere, basically, <laughs> haven't they? And it's it's not yeah. been a particularly well thought through process so to hear that they've brought in about 12 dudes to help that happen is actually really good news because look they've got the financial backing as you say but i mean actual allocation of these resources has been really poor up until this point but freddie bobich what a job he did at eintracht frankfurt like what a job and to have him in control of the whole operation at herter means that they will definitely be successful in the next couple of years. I wonder if they're going to take the place of Eintracht Frankfurt. It looks, it, it's a bit weird to think of what you're going to get from Eintracht Frankfurt if they remain on the same path, which they should, but if they actually do because they've lost so many members of their like team to Hertha, it, it's funny to see what will happen at Frankfurt. And we talk about Hertha like, spunking money completely worldly. They haven't really, their most recent transfers hasn't really showed a new direction, which is really confusing. They got brought in Jovetic, who's 31. Again, 
more of a big money name um, who's older, Kevin Prince Boateng. He's back. back. He's back. And I mean, it, it's a bit like the Sammy Kadira of last season. It, it's just a bit like, why? Um, but even though we have said those kind of older names, they have brought in Suet Serda from Schalke. He's an amazing talent. He was probably one of their highlights, apart from Matthew, Matthew Hopper from um, last season. Arnie Meyer's back from loan, which is again another good talent. That's their most exciting signing. Bringing Arnie Meyer back in and, and pairing him with Serda is is really lovely. That's a, that's a nice little pairing there, and it'd be interesting to see if they can if they can develop that relationship. I mean, we saw so much of Meyer uh, in in the under Euros, and it, it was just that partnership that that was going on there. And you were like, right, okay, can you kick this on into the Bundesliga? And I think it'd be, it might be nice to see it. But it does feel like that's their most exciting signing: someone coming back off a loan deal from Armenia. Yeah, and and I, I mean, you saw we saw how Bielefeld played last year as well. They they weren't the worst from just being promoted. They stayed up, so it will be exciting. And I think I think even though they've got that Jovetic and Kevin Prince Boateng, I think that's more of they might actually be doing it a bit more smartly, and that's their reserve, their backups. And um, I mean, it looks like Cunha's probably leaving. So who they bring in if they focus on the youth, if they completely change their style of play across levels it will be an absolutely amazing redevelopment yeah I think the roller coaster has been rolling for a little while now on Hertha, right? It's, there's been ups yeah. and downs of this rebuild and, you know, you go all the way back and those strange Klinsman years and everything that happened over, over the kind of past <laughs> sort of half a decade, you say. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think that probably sums it up nicer than anything else. It's just like one of those bizarre ones. But the latest development on the Hertha roller coaster is, well, it's always one to keep an eye on, isn't it? Um, which leaves us with number one, doesn't Okay, number one is um, probably a little bit of a bigger team. Mention Gladbach, what direction they'll go post Marco Rosa, because Marco Rosa going to Dortmund, I think there were loads of people at Mention Gladbach that thought they found a winner and they thought they, thought they saw, felt that he was going to be there for the long run. And it turns out it. Dortmund can sway you. Um, uh, I can't. I can't imagine why, but you know, um, <laughs> it's happened. He's gone. I, we've been sitting through for this through um, February. We've had again another roller coaster on who they would appoint. I think everyone thought that Xavi Alonso was going to go to München and that was the most funniest news of the time. Couldn't understand it. They've gone through a few positions on who they pick and. In the end, they got Adi Hütter, which is probably the best that they can get for someone who's probably lost their identity. And again, somewhere in the kind of mysterious, don't know what they're doing part of the club's future. Um, As well as Marco Rosa did to get them into the Champions League and Champions League knockouts, there were glaringly obvious problems in his terms of identity principles play they weren't good in possession and they struggled to find solutions with the ball um especially in that second season where you know everyone lords Marco Rosa to be a high intensity counter-attacking team and if you look at all of the stats for high intensity they were suffering they were nowhere near a high intensity team so um you know we had the breakthrough seasons of 
Mox Turam, Alison Player, Brill Mbolo, Dennis Sakaria, even though he was suffering a massive injury before he got injured. And in that second season, they all kind of regressed and the football regressed. Um, mm. And there was also a lack of focus on youth at the time, especially against Man City when Gladbach fans were crying out for something young, a, a risk, and no risk was taken. And that is something Adi Hutter has more experience, both at his time at um, Salzburg and young, young Boys in Switzerland. Um, he has a far more principled stance in tactics. He's more stubborn with his tactics. Um, they like to defend forward with high-pushing wing-backs in a back 3-5, which could suit Gladbach currently because their best season was, Rose was a back 3-5. He's got a blueprint of a Red Bull intensity, so that's where you can see the similarities. Um, we also saw it under his Frankfurt days, especially against Bayern when they won 2-1. Um, and unlike former managers, even though Adi Hütte is stubborn to his principles of play and his tactics, he is a little bit more flexible. He can change it to suit the strength of his team, where I think Rosa was definitely lacking in the last season. But it's not the most interesting thing about Gladbach is not the kind of experience that they put into coaching or players, because they've got pretty much the same squad as last season as well. Um, but they've invested in a head of nutrition and monitoring, which you probably think is quite um, common. It's really not. It, it, they've gone the same way, in, in similar to Mona Nema at Liverpool and was ex-Bayern. They've invested in Vibka Schlussmann, uh, and it's to just keep, especially after these last two years, especially in the amount of injuries um, Mönchengladbach has, it's just to keep them at their peak performance. She's um, ex-Schalke. She's come from Schalke along with another athletic coach. And um, it's far more detailed than any usual club nutritionist. And this could give them that better recovery edge that they've been lacking the last two seasons. Plus, they have no Europe this season. So they've only got two competitions they're going to be in for. So you could see them make a further stride than... You know, a Union Berlin who has conference league this season. Yeah, it's it's easier, isn't it, when you've got your midweeks clear to uh, get that time on the training ground, get everybody recovered, and then make sure that you're okay for the uh, for the weekend game. It's a bit it's a bit Antonio Conte's Chelsea is the reference we always use, where they went from eighth to first. But this is a question for you, Jasmine. I'm sure a lot of people will wonder this: Why would Adi Hutter go from Eintracht Frankfurt, who finished in a Europa League spot, to Borussia Mönchengladbach, who finished? outside of the European spots. They didn't even make the Conference League. Like, what what, what takes a manager from here to here? Because I think it's probably a, a pretty fair question considering the calibre of competitions they're involved in. I think there were no guarantees on keeping those players that made Frankfurt Frankfurt last season. I mean, we've already seen seen Andrew Silva been picked up by RB Leipzig. There's Eunice, Kamada, all of these players could go. There was no guarantee that they would be there last season. And I don't think Adi Hutter wanted to stay around for a new rebuild, especially with, um, you know, he he kind of got on with Bovic and their workload was perfect. And I think if he knew that was going and all these players would be going, he just didn't want to rebuild in the same spot again. Um, Gladbach are a bigger club. I, 
from we saw what they could do in the 80s and 90s they've still got that name to them as well and Max Bell's a fantastic sporting director to get a new project like that going really quickly and I think he's seen some similarities with himself with this Gladbach team I mean we had another RB manager take over um, Gladbach so he should be able to fit in a lot more than any other manager would so um it's a fair question to ask about Europe and no Europe, but I think Eintracht Frankfurt has a lot of work to do this season with the Europa League, with their players maybe going with the rebuild. And I just don't think Adi Putter was interested in doing that again. Everyone's just shifted downwards, haven't they? Because obviously Wolfsburg's coach Glasner was a, was a Champions League coach. Now he's at Frankfurt in the Europa League. hutter has gone from the Europa League to outside European competition. This is all Marco Rosa's fault. He's, uh, he, <laughs> Marco he's shifted, Rosa's the only one who's gone up. And he's shifted he the balance. Yeah, exactly. He's shifted all the balances and now everybody's a bit all over the place. Um, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine, for, for coming and joining us. Uh, three things to, to be keeping an eye on outside that, that battle for the top spot. Um, and just before you go, where can our listeners find you? I write my own tactics blog on which you can find. If you go to my Twitter, it's in my bio, which is at Jasmine underscore BH1. And I also do monthly articles on DW about tactics. Perfect. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, hear more from you over the course of the season, Jasmine. Thank you so much again for having me. Well, thank you so much to Jasmine for that. I tend to agree. I, I think that that Van Bommel, uh, well, I think that Van Bommel appointment at Wolfsburg is is one of those that's a, a danger waiting to happen. Perhaps we'll be both proved wrong, but it, it does feel like that's a little bit of a powder keg. Um, but that is genuinely who we have time for on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening uh, if you've enjoyed this please make sure you give us a vote in the fca awards the link is at the bottom of the description of this podcast it literally takes about 15 seconds we think we're in the international category but we're not really sure we definitely are this week anyway well, i've been telling um, people to just vote put us in all of the box <laughs> well you know if you don't if you don't shoot you can't score buy a ticker you might win the lottery um right uh, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to dean jones Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Sam Tai. Thank you, mate. Thank you also to Alex Collings and Jasmine Baba for their insights on Liga and the Bundesliga, respectively. When you when you get niche insights like Dean saying Monaco Stadium is rubbish, uh, and then we're talking about the wingers at Red, you know you've uh, you've flipped the script somewhat. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week, guys. Eh?